Tony, did you uh, get the extra premium gas that I asked for for this week? I did. I got your text last night and I um, I filled up this morning and, and it was, you know, it is really hard to find a, a gas station, especially in Ottawa, that sells extra premium gas. But uh, why do we need that? Well, we're going to a time and a place that I think the uh, Wayback Machine needs it. The Wayback Music Machine needs it because we're going back a long time ago. Oh, well, I can't wait because we've been back pretty far, but uh, never more than about maybe 60, 70 years. Are we going back further than that? Mm, Yes, we're going back more than 100 years. Oh, very exciting. All right, let's do it. So uh, I've got the uh, Wayback Music Machine fueled up, uh, and here we go. Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our Wayback Music Machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. So it looks like we're going to Michigan, and in fact, we're going to Kalamazoo in 1902. How do you like that rhyme? Thumbs up. You're a poet and didn't know it. (laughs) All right. So we've even got the budget for uh, increased sound effects. So you don't need to tap your fingers. I'm going to cue it up for you. Uh, But can you punch it in anyway? Yeah, I'm punching it in. All right. Here we go. Oh, man, I forgot that they only have dirt roads in 1902. And Tony, 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 watch out for the horse. The horse. Oh, whew, that was close. You know, I uh, certainly want to make sure that people know that no animals were harmed in the recording of this episode. <laughs> the car, I don't know, but the, <laughs> the animals are fine. Well, you're, uh, the extra premium fuel held up. So here we are, Kalamazoo, Michigan, 1902. And actually, this... Uh, has a direct impact on rock and roll history all joking aside this was the day october 10th 1902 that the gibson mandolin slash guitar company was formed and uh, you know gibson of course went on to produce some of the finest uh, electric guitars and their first one was the es 150 in 1936 and in 1946 they introduced a model called the p90 which had a single coil pickup and eventually, they, the one that is prized by all collectors, the Les Paul model, made in 1952. And what an impact that had on rock and roll history. Oh, I mean, how many classic records are based around the, a riff played on a Les Paul or even an acoustic? I mean, I mean, Gibson didn't, I mean, Orville Gibson had no idea what he was creating when he... You're a musician. Would you say Gibsons are good guitars? They are fantastic guitars, and I'll get into that in a bit because, you know, there were two competing manufacturers, basically, and then everybody else copied them, right? Gibson and Fender, and there's some big uh, big differences between them. But uh, Orville started right with a, with a single-piece mandolin, um, and it was more durable than other mandolins available and it could be manufactured in volume you know i guess it's very similar to what henry ford did with the automobile right he was mass Mm -hmm. producing uh mandolins and then started experimenting with um putting pickups on these things and electrifying them and uh, started in a one-room workshop isn't that hard to believe in kalamazoo michigan amazing 
and uh, of course it started uh, that he only, they only produced his original designs but uh, after he died in 1918 I mean they they had uh, other designers on board and of course that famous collaboration with Les Paul and uh, just listen to some of these players uh, Aaron who've played on uh, the Les Paul models so Jimmy Page slash Randy Rhodes Pete Townsend Dwayne Allens Allman, sorry, uh, Billy Gibbons. I mean, what a what a who's who, right? Now, when you've been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? Yes. Did you see the Les Paul exhibit? I did, and amazing, and what a what a pioneer, you know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, just incredible, and and he to think that he built on what Gibson had started, right? Well, that's right, and. Uh, you know, the big difference, uh, Gibson's, I mean, I'm no guitar expert by any means, but the big difference, you know, was always, um, I mean, the body shape was different from what Fender was doing, right? But the other difference was, is that Gibson's uh, still are crafted out of one piece of wood, right? So the the neck stock is, is not bolted on. Like oh. fen- Fender's, the neck is bolted on, but on a Gibson, it is actually this you know one one piece of wood right it's all crafted. i never knew that i did not like that that's to today like if you buy an acoustic gibson or whatever it's just gonna be one piece well, one i, I know for their electrics it is yeah wow that's yeah. pretty cool man it is so you can actually tell you can look when you turn a fender over you can see where the neck is bolted on right and so i mean there's arguments for both sides um I think a lot of gibson musicians feel like the entire instrument resonates better because it's one piece of wood Whereas the uh, the Fender guys will say that you well with with the removable neck you can just swap out the neck if if it bows or something like that right if you can't fix the mm. bowing in it so I mean uh, both guitars had incredible impact on rock and roll history but uh, Gibson has has innovated constantly over the years starting with mandolins but uh, the collaboration with Les Paul as we said and um, I actually got to try one of the cooler. Uh, Gibson guitars. Uh, they developed an auto tuning system. They they nicknamed it the robot guitar. And how it works, I mean, it looks like a regular Gibson electric guitar with a little electronic attachment up near the end where the tuning pegs are on. Mm-hmm. And and you um, strum a string, and the the guitar tunes itself, and you can see the pegs turning. And it takes about two or three seconds. Really? I think I've seen people, I mean, when you describe it, it sounds like something I've seen. Yeah, so it's an auto-tuning guitar, and you can even do like the, the different tunings that some musicians use. Like if you want drop D tuning, you can have it do that as well. And I got to play a very early one. Uh, it was actually the serial number on it was like you know zero zero seven or whatever. So it was the se- <laughs> the seventh one. And my brother-in-law is a collector, and he had uh, number seven off the line. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's very cool. You know, and you know, Tony. You can tune a guitar, but you can't tune a fish. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Good resist. Good resist. But, uh, you know, this uh, the legacy of, uh, of Gibson with their guitars and, and the players who continue to this day. Now, that company has had their ups and downs, and, uh, you know, they filed for, for bankruptcy protection again as late as 2018. I mean... It's a little bit sad, but guitar playing is uh, waning a bit, right? So I, I don't know who to blame that on, whether to blame that on streaming or blame it on cell phones or what. But uh, the number of young kids who are picking up guitars, you certainly aren't seeing it like you used to, you know? 
No. Well, it's computers too, right? I mean, you can buy. You know, I I, I was at a I was at a show on Sunday, and uh, two guys were doing Beatles songs. They did they were the opening act, but they had everything on their computer as as uh, backing tapes. Yeah, the drums, and I just thought. Mm, doesn't, it's not quite the same. Yeah, and you know what? I mean, at the risk of insulting somebody here, when you are using a backing track like that, to me, that's karaoke, but, you know, that's... That's what I called it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so apologies to anybody out there, but I'm old school about that. I like to see someone who's actually put the time and effort to learn their instrument and learn their craft. and and um, But it is, there, there are less and less kids playing guitar, and uh, hopefully that trend will... Uh, change, you know, because there is a demand for all things retro. So maybe the guitar will be looked at as retro in a little while, and kids will pick it up again. You know, but there was a lot of there were a lot of copycats of Gibson too, right? I mean, you, you, sometimes you see a guitar, you go, "Well, that's a Gibson," but really, it's not. Yeah, Gibson. Um, tons of companies have copied their body style, and yeah. originally they only manufactured under the Gibson name, but then they licensed it out. Uh, there's a company called Epiphone which, uh, you know, it's like a cheaper version of Gibson. And uh, I actually bought an Epiphone for my son when he started guitar lessons. But um, they... Both my girls have one, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Gibson bought them out. And, I mean, they bought a bunch of guitar companies. But for sure, there there's all kinds of different brand names, but there's that body style that you know it's a Gibson. Yep. Now, I'm very curious, Aaron. Uh, back in 1902, I... I have a sneaking suspicion that you must have found some charts. So what kind of charts did you find for them? Really old charts and really interesting things, Tony. So I can't wait. And I'm, you and I share a lot in common. We, we have a lot of the similar tastes and, and viewpoints and both of us share a, a passion for history, right? Yes. So it's interesting that in 1902, Bill Bailey, Won't You Come Home was a brand new song. And it was it was a previous number one. It was number five by a guy named guy named Huey Cannon. Now Huey was a smart guy. In 1903, he released a song called "I Wonder Why Bill Bailey Hasn't Come or Won't Come Home." (laughs) (laughs) Smart guy. Number four was Sousa, John Sousa, and his band with Jack Tar March. Yeah, the March King, John Philip Sousa. Yep. Yeah, but it was him. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it just, it just floors me. Uh, number three was, uh, I, I, I love this song and I love the title, The Beer That Made Milwaukee Famous by uh, Dan Quinn. Now, this was released only on an Edison cylinder. You know those old things, folks? Yeah. Where they, yeah. Oh, wow. And number two and one was the same song by different artists, which is, <laughs> okay. Uh, it's a song called The Mansion of Aching Hearts, which sounds like a Hank Williams title. Yeah. Um, Number two is by Byron G. Harlan. And number one was Harry McDonough. And both of those were single-sided 78s. In other words, just you had the A side, nothing on the B side. Now, who was tracking charts back then? Like, it was it? Was that it, was Billboard. It was still Billboard, eh, back then? Billboard yeah. started off tracking circuses. Yeah. But um, by 1902, when, when there's, well, by early 1900s, 1899, you know, sheet music was selling, and I mean that's how the, the, the these are combined sheet music and record sales, right? So, mm-hmm. and they started looking at the Edison discs. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I've got one of the original Edison 
10-inch discs that were that was a precursor to 78s. And it's got the French national anthem on one side and the Russian national anthem on the other side. Oh, that's very, very cool. Yep. And, and you were saying number five was uh, Bill Bailey, Won't You Please Come Home, right? Yeah. Did I, I think I told you what I saw a little while ago. I, I saw a video of a screen test by Anne Margaret uh, do, singing Bill Bailey, Won't You Please Come Home and uh, dancing along with it. It was uh, fantastic. You have to send that to me. I forgot about that. You got to send that to me. Yes. And we were saying, you know, can you imagine if Anne Margaret and Elvis uh, would have had children? Like, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> They would have taken over the world. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Talk about two beautiful people. Now, we are going to uh, be jumping, and we're going across the pond, aren't we, to England, and we're going to be talking about uh, a very special and interesting uh, Top of the Pops situation that developed. But uh, <laughs> So we have to go to October, the I think it's the 9th, right? October the 9th, 1969. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. All right, let's do it. So let's jump across the pond. Here we go. The following contains adult situations. And listener discretion is advised. Yeah, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're here in 1969, Tony, to look at a, um, an episode of Top of the Pops, where they refused, they refused to air the number one song because they banned it. Um, do you know the name of that song and the artist? Well, I, I've got the name of the song right here, which the name is pretty innocuous, right? It mm. is uh, Je t'aime, moi non plus, and uh, it's Serge Gainsbourg and Jane Birkin who did that, didn't they? Mm. <laughs> they did it's a, a lot it's of a, things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a very strange story, folks. <laughs> yeah, this is, it, doesn't get, it doesn't get much odder than that. I mean, first of all, the melody is quite nice. I quite like the melody, but it's the... You know, I, I tell you honestly, the first time I ever heard my mother, my mother walked in the room and it was on the radio. And I got embarrassed. I mean, <laughs> Are you going to be able to put this on the Spotify playlist? Of course, that's it's. You know, I mean, compared to some of the other stuff coming out now, it's well, maybe not. I don't know. It's 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 fun. Uh, we should so tell folks, people. We're talking about that's, that, what's that? Oh, I'm saying we should tell people what we're talking about. Yeah. Have you ever heard? Okay, so it's a song that they put out, uh, "Je T'aime," which was basically an instrumental with Serge and Jane professing their love for each other during a rather intimate act. Um, they were apparently recorded in the act of love and superimposed it over the top of the song. And it, it, it was a massive, massive hit. Um, although the record company, and your notes, Tony, they actually dropped it, didn't they? They dropped it because of the stir in Britain, right? And uh, But it went all the way to number two, didn't it? My, 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 I laughed actually in your notes where you said it was the first French language. What what words? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking. What words are actually in the song? <laughs> yeah, no kidding, eh? But uh, it, it was uh, what a what a story, right? Let's just uh, record ourselves having sex and let's uh, splice it in and uh, you know just give it that extra je ne sais quoi. Ooh, very nice. <laughs> Very nice. Well, the, and I, I would love to hear the original version with Brigitte Bardot. Yes, yes. So there's two Beatle connections. Okay. You want it? You want the Beatle connections? Yeah. Okay. Jane Birkin starred in a film in '68 called Wonderwall, 
which George Harrison wrote the music for, and That's was the right. first solo Beatle album to come out called Wonderwall Music by George Harrison in 1968. But even more interesting is that um, Gainsbourg and, and Birkin had a daughter named Charlotte who put out an album out three years ago, and Paul McCartney wrote a song for her to sing on that album, and he actually plays every instrument on the song except vocals, and she did the vocals. Oh, wow. That's a very cool Beatles connection. But uh, this is one of the stranger stories we've ever done on this show, I think. You know, I, I'm finding myself at a loss for words about this one a little bit, to be honest, and that doesn't happen to me very often. I just I just find that, I mean, it's, it's really, again, what do you think of the song itself? Like, what would you... How, What's your opinion of the song? Well, the song itself is fine, you know, but uh, I just, I wonder what was going through their minds. They had to predict that, uh, I mean, maybe it was attention-seeking, I'm not sure, but uh, they had to know that it was going to get dropped or there were going to be some kind of consequences or getting it banned, right? Yeah, they can't be that naive. I mean, Gainsbourg was saying the music is very pure, but it is. I mean, it's a very beautiful melody. Absolutely. But it's the vocals that kind of just, you know, <laughs> distract you, I guess you could say, right? Well, you know what? And uh, people are going to have to listen to it on our Spotify playlist. Now, this is going to be the uh, the highest rated Spotify playlist that we've ever put out. You watch. <laughs> well, and, and then it made me think, too, there's two other records that came out after it that I thought were kind of in the same vein. One was a Montreal group called The Bells. And they did a song called Stay A While. Do you remember that song? I don't, but I'm guessing that they were probably wearing nothing but bells or what? Is that? <laughs> well, you know, it's Montreal, right? <laughs> um, and the other one was Donna Summer's song that was, was banned in the UK as well, Love To Love You Baby, which sounded pretty erotic at the time, right? That's right. And uh, yeah, well, that's uh, actually, that's a great song. Oh, I love it. I mean, I think it's, it's, I think she was, and she disowned it later in life when she became a born again Christian. She was like, oh, no, 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 that song is wrong. No, it's right. And it's perfect for that. It was great. It was one of the few disco songs that I can say I loved. Yeah. Well, it's like, exactly. It fit the time perfectly, right? The time period that it came from. And now, other than uh, songs with uh, sex for their backing tracks, um, what was on the charts this week? Um, there was Debbie Does. No, 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 just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bee Gees for the song that, you know what, I listened to when I was putting together the playlist. And I forgot how good it is. It's a song called Don't Forget to Remember. This is the UK top five, by the way. This isn't the American. So there might be some weird stuff here. So number four, five was the Bee Gees. Number four was Johnny Cash, a boy named Sue. Which is an number all-time three, great Number three at this song. time, it was going up the charts. Next week it would be number two was Jane Birkin and Serge Gainsbourg. Je t'aime, moi non plus. How's that for my French? <laughs> I'll give you no. an A for E for effort or whatever they call e it. E for right? effort, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> number two, I love this, Bobby Gentry. Now she was. She only had one hit in North America. Um, oh, to Billy Joel, Billy Joe, <laughs> not Billy Joel, Billy <laughs> Joe. Um, but she had a number of hits in the UK, and this was a big hit. I'll never fall in love again. And number one was CCR, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival, with Bad Moon Rising. The same week in America, the number one song was an equally controversial song, "Sugar Sugar" by the Archies. Yeah. <laughs> And I just have to tell you a quick story is that number 12 this week is a song called Hare Krishna Mantra, which was on Apple Records produced by George Harrison by the Radha Krishna Temple. 
And when they asked George Harrison, the song's number 12, do you think it'll go top 10, number one? It'll go higher than number one, he said. (laughs) 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 Okay. It made it to number 11, by the way, just in case you're wondering. But anyways, it was a big hit in the UK. Wow. So uh, I think next, Aaron, we are heading to 1979, October the 10th in uh, Los Angeles. So we've been all over the place today from Kalamazoo to uh, London to L.A. But uh, let's take a trip back across the pond and uh, see what we're talking about. Sounds good. Do you see why we needed the extra quality cast? I absolutely do. And uh, I'm glad I listened. Well, here we are. It's October the 10th, 1979, and we're in Los Angeles. And Aaron, there's really nothing like the pomp and uh, all the revelry around uh, something like a film premiere, is there? It's huge, isn't it? And, and all the, you know, the, the, the red carpet, they say, right? Well, that's right. Now, this was uh, a rock and roll film that premiered, and uh, The Rose, starring Bette Midler as a self-destructive 1960s rock star, now, I think, you know, obviously, it was pretty obviously based on Janis Joplin, but it premiered in Los Angeles on October the 10th, 1979, and uh, it really made a splash, didn't it? Well, it's interesting because Janis Joplin died on October the 4th, 1970. Do you think they tried to time it that way, Tony? Uh, I wonder. I wonder. They might very well have. Mm-hmm. But, you know, nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Actor uh, in a Supporting Role, that was Frederick Forrest. Uh, the best actress in a leading role, of course, Bette Midler. That was her screen debut, too. I f- that's hard to believe, isn't it? That's incredible. Hard to believe. Did you see it when it was at the show? I Well, I was only 10. Uh, so <laughs> stop doing that. I didn't see it until later. I saw it in high school. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. And when I saw it in high school, I had no idea that it was based on uh, Janis Joplin, you know? But um, it also was nominated for Best Film Editing and Best Sound. But it's a great film. And, uh, you know, uh, it just provides a whole glimpse into that, uh, you know, the the performer who is self-destructing and and doing it in front of the world, right? Well, which is what Joplin did. I mean, um, may I say that it's a much better film than Beaches. Um, Yeah, I agree. A (laughs) hundred percent. Midler's really good in it, first of all. Oh, she's absolutely convincing. Yep. Fantastic, isn't she? Oh, yeah. Especially when they show her, you know, on her decline and and the scenes where she's drugged out and stuff. It's brilliant. I, 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 you know, I remember the scene where she goes into the drugstore and she's refused service and she loses it on the, the cashier. Just brilliant. Just brilliant. Well, the other one that gets me is when, uh, you know, when the helicopter, I always remembered that, um, you know, when she gets out of the helicopter, right, at the concert, and mm-hmm. her her two uh, crew members are basically, like, lifting her out of the helicopter and basically helping her walk. But then the minute she hits the stage, she shakes them off and uh, switches on, right? And uh, yeah. very, yeah. very cool. I mean, sad, tragic, of course, but... Uh, but I think that's Joplin. I just I watched a documentary about a train that went across Canada. They were doing concerts, and Joplin was part of that for a bit. She was, 
she knew how to hold her own, you know? Well, Al, well, yeah, Joplin, Joplin was, uh, what an entertainer, you know, and, and so tragic. And, and uh, again, a member of that 27 Club, right? Now, what do you think of the song, The Rose? Well, I just remember everybody learning to play that in high school, so I got kind of sick of it, you know. Um, iconic, for sure. Um, but my recollection of it is a little, like I said, I just got so, so sick of that song because everybody was doing that at uh, every talent show, and you know what I mean. So so I'm, I'm a couple of years older than you. You know what song it was for me that everyone did? was You Light Up My Life. Oh, my gosh, yeah. That <laughs> was like please stop please. <laughs> exactly exactly but you know you you would go in um even to any music store at that time or whatever and you'd hear someone playing that uh that high piano part at the start right i mean everybody was playing that and it was on everybody's mind but uh i'd love to hear what was on the charts though i just want to i want to say that the song made it to number three and i've not heard it on the radio probably in decades just oh, saying me it's, too i can't remember actually the last time i may have heard that on the radio no me neither so so weird so this would have been 79 october and it's interesting I, I i went i went the british route again tony and i'll tell you why it it was a bit more interesting than the american charts because punk and new wave well new wave punk was transforming to new wave so you had still some of the old rockers but you have like status quo at number five with whatever you want Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, which was the current number one in the USA. Blondie Dreaming was at number three. And, of course, the classic Buggles, Video Killed the Radio Star, was at two. Now, do you know the significance of that song? Uh, of, what do you mean? Well, that was the first song that um, MTV aired when, when MTV came on the air. That was the very first video. Oh, really? Yep kind of prophetic wasn't it yep that was that was the very first thing that when mtv uh went on air and they showed this video yep wow that's cool i didn't know that um that's really cool i just actually i just interviewed one half of the buggles oh it's for spill magazine i interviewed jeff downs who's now in yes and he's a very lovely guy and uh, we talked a wee bit about video killed the radio star he wanted to talk about yes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, number one was a new band uh, called The Police and Message in a Bottle. Oh, great song. One of their best. Yeah. And number 11 on the singles chart was an EP by Kate Bush called Live on Stage. But this this was the week where you saw people like Gary Newman, Skids, um, a, a lot of those bands. Sex Pistols were still charting in 79. So there you go. Yeah, it's an interesting time in music, right? Because you've kind of, you know, disco was kind of on the way out and punk is uh, and new wave are on the rise what a, what a time it, it must have did, felt you know like didn't it did you think that um did you think sorry to interrupt but did you no, think that right. disco and punk equaled new wave yeah you, you can definitely see that right but i think uh, you know now I, it was a little bit before my time but i think for, as a teenager who may have lived during that period it must have felt especially when punk uh, hit the scene, it must have felt exactly the same way that it did when uh, Elvis Presley burst onto the scene in 1954. Um, it, just the, the, the whole idea that this was music that adults hated, right? Well, I remember seeing the Pistols on TV, on the news, 
and uh, <laughs> my mother turned to me and said, you know, not be bringing any of their records into this house. Meanwhile, upstairs in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I mean, right? It was almost like it was, again, something that was just upsetting uh, the establishment. And it would have felt very similar, I'm sure. Yeah, I was just reading a book by Jethro Tull. They actually, the members of, of the band wrote the book. And Ian Anderson said exactly what you just said was he had the same feeling when he heard the pistols that he did when he heard, you know, Elvis and Eddie Cochran and all that. Because it, he said, it's just everything you knew got flipped over on its head, right? Yeah. So. Well, that's a, that's a pretty interesting chart. And like you say, there's, a, there's quite a mix in there. Now, we have to jump back to the present, and we're going to uh, see what the Beatles were up to, so I can't wait to uh, find that out. Are you ready to go? Talking about the Beatles? Me? Always. All right, let's do it. Well, that was uh, one of our more interesting road trips, and uh, we even had to have the listener advisory on there, but uh, I really enjoyed that, didn't you? I and you know folks we're just kidding about the Lister advisory that was just a bit of fun but yeah I, I enjoyed that tremendously I like to go back to 1902 yeah me too and uh, thank goodness we uh, swerved out of the way of that horse in time that I would have felt terrible <laughs> and we missed the road apples too which is even more important and speaking of apples what a segue eh? look at that let's go apples to apple records to the Beatles uh, what were the Beatles up to shall I queue up Rick's uh, music and find out Sure. Okay, here we go. Well, Tony, there's a couple of really important things that happened in early October for the Beatles. We'll go first to October the 5th, which was the date that their first single with Ringo, uh, Love Me Do, was released in England. Uh, Parlophone 4949, R4949. Two minutes and 11 seconds of pure pleasure. And it got to number 17 in the charts. It was their first single. I always joke with my brother because it's his birthday. And I always say the Beatles are much more important than his birthday. Um, (laughs) (laughs) True story. So, yeah, that was the first official Beatle record. We know they had recorded some stuff prior with Tony Sheridan. But this was the Beatles, produced by George Martin, October 5th, 1962. Which makes... That's what? That's how many years ago? 2060? 60? Yes. Almost 60 years, right? Yeah, 59 and change right now. It'll be 60 years next year. That's amazing. Wow, that's just mind-boggling. The other important date is October 9th, which is John Lennon's birthday, 1940. He was born. John Winston Lennon. Winston after, of course. Um, the teddy bear. No, no. Winston Churchill. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Yeah, he was born in Liverpool, and uh, that was the start. I mean, who knows what would have happened without John and being born that day. So two really important dates. There was a lot of other stuff, too. Well, there was. That was going on. Right. There was, uh, on what would have been his 45th birthday, uh, they dedicated uh, Strawberry Fields in Central Park, didn't they? Yeah. Have you ever been there? I have. Uh, I've been there a few times, and... uh, you know, with band trips with the kids. And that was always one of the highlights. And I would always explain to them, um, you know, that there's John's place, like right across the street, you know, there's the Dakota arms. Right. And, and would talk about how the shooting played out and stuff. And they, and they were fascinated by that. Um, and strawberry fields, all of them said that was probably the highlight of their trip, you know, 
It's you know it's funny. It, my daughter Linda, who lives in New York, when she first year there, she went to Strawberry Fields on October the ninth. You know, just thinking that she said there was like two hundred people there, three hundred people, and a lot of people with guitars, and they were singing Lennon songs. And she said it was actually very chilling. You know, it's very emotional. But it was she was glad she did it. So I wonder if this year they'll do the same thing. Yeah, I wonder that. Uh, you know, we had um, on one of our trips there, we had someone there tell us that Yoko had just walked by about two or three minutes earlier. Oh no way! Which uh, that would have been awesome. I mean, I wish I had seen that, you know, but that uh, would have been cool. Yeah, very cool. So that's what was happening in the land of Beatles. As I say, two very important landmark days. Oh, absolutely. And uh, what a trip. This this was our 26th road trip. So we're on our second uh, set of 25 working towards 50. Uh, Can't wait, but uh, had a great time this week, Aaron, and uh, look forward to doing this again next week. I do too. I, I think, you know, it's just so good to do and, and just we're finding new and different things that we can talk about that we haven't talked about before. So it's so, and that makes us learn too, right? So it's really cool. Well, that's right. And of course, uh, before I drop Aaron off here, I'd like to thank you, the listener. Um, please, you know, if you feel like our show is worth sharing, don't hesitate to do that or tell a friend or two and, um, by all means, we love that. If you've got feedback for us, let us know. We respond to everything, and we love getting uh, mail, emails, or you know, comments on social media. So please do that. But here we are, Aaron. We're at your place. So have a great week, my friend. You know, the the best thing about these things is I get to spend some time with you, Tony. Wonderful time, wonderful trip. So thank you very much for driving. Well, thanks. And uh, thanks for the tip about the uh, extra premium gas. That saved our <laughs> bacon, I think, and saved a horse. <laughs> <laughs> all right see you later music for today's episode of the Wayback music machine podcast was written by rick denee the show notes chart selection and spotify playlist were created by aaron badgley and the artwork recording editing and sound production was done by tony stewart if you enjoyed today's episode please be sure to tell a friend or two And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine podcast is a Stewie Tunes production. It's not just business, it's personal. And Signature Theatre's new musical, No Place to Go. When dedicated employee George discovers his company is relocating to Mars, he must decide whether to go and uproot his family's life or embark on an unknown venture. Featuring DC star Bobby Smith, No Place to Go is an irreverent and humorous musical with an enterprising twist. Now playing at Signature Theatre through October 16th. Get your tickets at SigTheatre.org.